Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Speaking For Him podcast. I'm super grateful for the fact that you have taken the time to listen to this show, and whether you are a returning listener who's listened for a long time, or whether this is the first time you are finding Speaking For Him, I hope that you will find true encouragement as we all journey together on this journey that we call the Christian life. If this is your first time considering Christ, may I just encourage you that he died for the sins of all men, and he wants you to be a part of this journey as well. So wherever you are coming from as you join us, I hope that you will be encouraged today. Well, we are continuing on our series talking about the unique attributes of Christianity and it's been a fruitful discussion, I do believe. Please let me know if you have any feedback on this discussion, any input or any things that you feel like I am forgetting with each subject. I really do want to hear from you. My contact information will roll at the end of the show, and you will have an opportunity to reach out that way. Well, today we are going to talk about the unique attribute of freedom that Christianity gives us. Now, the reason that it's so important to discuss this from a Christian perspective is for a lot of people, they think that freedom is the freedom to do whatever I want, regardless of how it affects other people. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we realize that our freedom is the freedom to do the right thing, because sin and simply doing the wrong thing unchecked is bondage. And we will get into that more as we unfold the discussion today. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, my first uh, story that I want to talk about today is actually an act of compassion that came out of the Little League World Series. Every August, uh, the youth of America gather in Williamsport, Pennsylvania to put on the Little League World Series. And something happened there which really is extraordinary and encouraging. This is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay. That it is a moment of sportsmanship that's taken the entire country by storm. An Oklahoma Little League player went to comfort the pitcher who hit him in the head during a World Series regional game just yesterday. And many have taken to social media to commend the actions of Isaiah Jarvis, who went to check and make sure that pitcher was okay. And this afternoon, Isaiah joins us live to talk about the reaction to what happened. Isaiah, thanks for being here. Yeah. I'm here. So we, uh, we've we seen this story all over the national news uh, the past day. What's your reaction to all the national attention you're getting? Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I just, I had no idea it was going to go this viral. Have, yeah. you, have you done a lot of interviews for it? Yeah, I've done a bunch of them. I've done like 20. It's crazy. Everybody was wanting to interview me. Isaiah, can you take us through that moment? We just saw a little part of it. After you were hit, when did you first notice that something was a little off with the pitcher? And then what inside you made you feel the need to go over there and comfort him? Yeah, so 
when I got hit and when I got to first base, I was talking to my coach a little bit. And then as soon as I saw him, like, getting emotional, I went out there, you know, I was trying to, like, spread the love of Jesus and try to comfort him. You know, it was just really like a natural reaction, just trying to go up there and comfort him and make sure that he knows that I'm going to be all right. And I was making sure he was all right and just trying to keep him as comfortable as possible. And we're watching some of the video right now. What did you say to him in that moment? I was just like, I was like, you're doing great. You're doing fine. It's going to happen. You're going to hit a kid once in a while. It's just, I just like, no strikes. You're fine. And then just stuff like that. And then, but they ended up taking him out. Have you you talked to him after at all? Uh, I haven't got to talk to him like one-on-one that much, but me and my dad have been in a couple of like interviews with him, with him and his mom. So we got to talk a little bit there. Yeah, what have they said to you, Isaiah? Aiden and them? Yeah. Uh, they were just, they were just really apologetic, or not, I mean, the, Caden was apologetic after the game, but really, they were just really glad I was okay, and they were just saying, I'm so glad you're okay, like, you're doing, you're still doing okay, and just stuff like that. So. Yeah, and so people across the country and even across the globe have seen the video. What do you want others to take from this? What's your message to people after this? Um, probably just keeping or do nice things and you'll get rewarded. Treat people how you want to be treated. And um, sportsmanship is a big thing in life. So. I was really excited when I saw this video and I was just really glad that there are good people in the world and it's just really good to highlight good and one thing that stuck out to me in that interview was that he said that he was trying to show the love of Jesus so I didn't know at the outset of this that it was motivated by his Christian faith but I'm so excited that he got the opportunity to share that in this interview and People like him make me believe that there is a future to fight for in our country and we need to continue to uphold these examples. Surely there are some things that I bring up on this show that need to be discussed regardless of their negative nature or maybe because of it, but it brings me so much joy to be able to spread positivity and to share this story and I wish the best for Isaiah Jarvis. I hope that he continues to keep this spirit about him and and this idea in his mind and heart that he needs to share the love of Jesus. And really that shows the difference that Jesus can make because typically in a sports situation, if a pitcher hits a batter, the batter immediately is angry and seeks revenge. Maybe not so much on the little league level, but we see it in the major leagues quite often. And so it was exciting and refreshing to see a different type of response. And then also to see the genuine remorse on the part of the pitcher was good too. I don't want to miss that. I feel like some people are simply looking at the hit batsman's response and not looking at the compassion of the pitcher's response because clearly he was torn up uh, by what he had done. And that speaks volumes too uh, because it was not intentional. It happened But I'm so glad that this act of sportsmanship went viral. And I just wanted to share that with you because as we will talk about 
a little bit later, true Christian love is to esteem others better than ourselves. And so I commend Zay Jarvis for doing that, and I hope that he has continued success in baseball and continues to use his platform uh, for good and for sharing the love of Jesus. Someone else who is using their platform for good is Tim Tebow. You know, Tim gets a lot of flack because he was a first-round draft pick by the Broncos. Many think he was picked too soon. And then he had a lackluster NFL career, although it did include a playoff win as a starter. His overall career in the NFL was lackluster, and then he attempted to play um, minor league baseball, and that venture was less than successful. But he has been somewhat of a successful commentator for college football, and that's been exciting to watch. But far more than his athletic accomplishments has been his heart. Tim has always been about helping other people. He loves helping people with disabilities with his Night to Shine prom. And he was on Fox's Sunday Night in America show talking to Trey Gowdy about something even more important that he is involved with. Last time you and I were together, we were talking about Ukraine and finding a way to get children and adults with special needs to safety but there are so many needs in the world, Tim, and you found another one that is so justified and necessary. Tell us about it. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, because after we had that conversation, so many of your listeners and supporters stepped into that need and that fight with us. And we got so many donations the next day and even the next few hours. And that was so kind of your supporters. And so I appreciate you um, having that conversation with me. And I appreciate you having this conversation with me to talk about one of the greatest evils in the, the world today. And, and honestly, I really believe that 40.3 million people right now estimated are tra- trapped in this horrible evil of, of human trafficking. And so many more are actually being exploited online. And that number is going up every single day. And it was a, about a decade ago. And I got a call from my dad who, um, uh, you know, at underground pastors conference in a remote country. And because they were, where faith isn't allowed and where he was teaching these pastors, there were four girls getting auctioned off. And one of the reasons why my dad is such a, a hero of mine is because my dad's not someone that could ever turn away. And these girls were getting auctioned off and he couldn't help but purchasing these girls' freedom. And he did it and he called me and he told me what just happened. And I knew that God had opened my eyes to a new calling that day. And, and ever since we've been getting more and more into this fight. And what we really need is an army because there is an army of bad people doing terrible things. And so we need an army of good people standing up against them because there are so many precious lives on the line. And in this project that we're, we're working on building in Thailand right now, it is for precious girls who have been rescued from trafficking, but they're still not safe because their traffickers actually have active threats against them. They have death threats against them and they have prices on their head. So they're still not safe until this protection center is built, until they can testify against their traffickers so they can go away. So this is something you can only imagine that they have been in trafficking, that they have been rescued from one of the worst evils you could possibly go through. And yet they're still in danger. And you know what? It is our job. It is our job to stand up for them, to give them a place of refuge, to give them a place of safety, to be able to protect them. So maybe for the first time in their life, they will actually feel free and feel secure. That's why this is important. 
You know, Tim, we we use the phrase human trafficking, but it's really modern day slavery. What you just described is is modern day slavery, and it especially hits vulnerable young people, especially girls who who, who don't have advocates, right? Yes, there, there's no doubt about it. And and um, what some of these people do is is they prey on on the desperate. They play uh, prey on those that are lonely, on those that are looking for for friends, on those that are looking for relationships, on those that are looking for hope. And so they find vulnerable people all over the world, and you know they build those relationships, and then they they do terrible things. All right. Tim, you're, you're, you're close to being able to build this protection center. People that want to help you get over the finish line, where can they go to help you? You can just go to the TimTebowFoundation.org, go check it out. And there's 15 girls right now that are waiting to, for this home to be built and so many more um, that we're, we're hoping to be able to rescue, to be able to bring into this home. So um, we need your help, but honestly, this isn't about us. They need your help. And they need us to work together to stand up for them because they are worth it. So there's Tim Tebow attacking human trafficking with the veracity that he attacked opponents on the football field. And I got to say, you know, Tim Tebow has taken a lot of flack through the years um, athletically. But one thing that he has stayed consistent in is his Christian faith and constantly serving others and reaching out to others. I mentioned the Night to Shine prom, and now here with the sex trafficking issue in Thailand. I like what he said about his dad, how he knew that his dad was a man of action, and that was something that he looked up to him for. And Tim Tebow is involved in this effort to end sex trafficking in Thailand because of the actions taken by his dad. So it really just points back to the effect of multi-generational legacy that we talked about. I just hope that you'll give this your consideration. I'm going to check out the Tim Tebow Foundation and figure out how best to support him in this. I hope that you will as well. Uh, And I will have a link to the Tim Tebow Foundation website on my blog for this week's podcast. So make sure that you avail yourself of that. And just remember, you can make a difference. And the people around you are waiting to see how you will react and to be an example in these things. Uh, Tim showed us that when he told us about his father. So I was really encouraged by that. And I applaud you, Tim Tebow, for continuing to stand for your faith in the Lord Jesus and using your platform for good. You know, sometimes we get a little uptight about famous people having a platform and we say, well, why do they get a platform instead of me? Or why are they famous? You know, why do they have so much? But I think that God chooses certain people and he gives them a platform. And then if they use it for him, he rewards them. Jesus said, if you will be faithful in little things, you will be faithful also in much. And so I think Tim Tebow clearly is an example of that. And as we consider the way things are overseas, um, you know, Tim mentioned the Ukraine. Uh, there was mention of Thailand. It really makes me thankful to live in the United States. And this past week, PragerU came out with a video detailing the construction of the Constitution of the United States. 
Spring, 1787. The American Revolution had been won, but there was no peace because there was essentially no government. There were states, but they weren't united, not even close. There was no mechanism to collect taxes, no way to provide for the national defense. The nation was living on the edge of anarchy. George Washington understood this. So did James Madison and Alexander Hamilton. So did many others. Something clearly had to be done and fast. The word went out across the land. A new constitutional convention was called for. When Washington announced he would be there, the meeting gained instant credibility. 55 men from 12 states arrived in Philadelphia in 1787 to draft the framework of a national government. There was no guarantee that they would succeed. And even if they did, there was no guarantee that the American people would accept their plan. Failure was a real possibility, and everybody knew it. The different interests of the states were just too pronounced over trade, taxes, and slavery, to name just three of a dozen points of conflict. Yet they all knew that they had to succeed, or there would be no country. Just a loose collection of individual territories sharing the same continent. Easy prey for the European powers. Not only was America's future on the line, so was the glorious principle of self-government, as stated in the Declaration of Independence, the reason for the Revolutionary War. So, these 55 men locked themselves in a room for four months, working six days a week, through the middle of a hot Philadelphia summer, to get it done. They all agreed they would say nothing to the press about their deliberations. They even closed the window shutters so that no one could look in, making a very hot room even hotter. As the temperature rose outside, tempers rose inside. Still, they persevered. On September 17th, they finished, and the country and the world learned what they had produced. The Constitution of the United States. 4,500 words of collaborative genius. I think it's important as we reflect on all the difficulties happening around our world, whether it be Ukraine or Thailand or elsewhere, how great of a gift our constitutional republic is. And so I thought it was important to share this information with you. I would encourage you to check out PragerU. And as always, you can check out the link to this video, as well as any audio clips that I share on my blog at speakingforhim.blogspot.com. That info will run again at the end of the show. I just want to encourage you to prize liberty and to do your best to fight for it because it is a gift that we have that cannot be easily replaced. Today we are continuing our unique Attributes of Christianity series and we are talking about freedom. And I'm really excited to unpack this issue for you because a lot of times when we think about freedom in our country, we think about it in context of I can do whatever I want because I'm free. But I think you'll see as we dig into the Bible's definition of freedom that freedom is actually for a purpose and that when we live lives of freedom for a purpose, we have true fulfillment. To start this conversation, I want to share with you our quote of the day. 
And our quote of the day comes from Jesus in John 8.32, where he says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, it's kind of ironic that in this culture, we think of freedom in terms of doing whatever I want to do. But we also have a culture that says that my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. And so we can't really have freedom and grasp what it means to have freedom if we don't believe in definite truth. And it ties back to last week's show when we discussed a definite moral standard. And uh, so I really think that this is going to be a beneficial discussion. And I'm going to talk to you about six things that freedom in Christ does for us. So the first one is freedom in Christ leads to life. Romans 8.3 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And here is the situation. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and the spirit of life in Christ gave us freedom from that death. The death that had us steeped in the law, a law that we could not fulfill. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about the law, he says, you give the people that you are supposed to be leading rules that you cannot even fulfill. And so not only are you going to hell, but you're leading other people there. And those were solemn words. You know, a lot of people say Jesus is love or God is love, which is 100% true. But he didn't get nailed to the cross for warm fuzzies. He got nailed to the cross because he was willing to challenge the leadership of the day when they went against his word. He said, their lips profess to know me, but their hearts are far from me. The second point I want to bring out about freedom in Christ is that it gives us the power to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And again, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. What this passage outlays for us is that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are owned by the Lord Jesus. He has paid the ransom for our souls. Our souls were claimed by the devil in the Garden of Eden, but God sent Jesus to relieve us from the devil's tyranny, to save us from our sins, and to give us actually the power to glorify God. The Bible says that his grace is sufficient for us, and it allows us to serve righteousness instead of serving sin. And I think it's really important for us to realize that we're not just here living a life to be whatever we want it to be, but we're living a life of service to the Lord Jesus. We talked about that last week when we talked about the issue of being his workmanship and living for a purpose. It really helps us to know that he gave us our bodies, he gave us the lives that he gave us, 
and he wants us to live them responsibly and to bring glory to himself. And the reason that we know that we need him and that we needed him to do this is found in Romans 5, 6 to 10. Now, this is a lengthy passage, but I didn't know how to shorten it for the purposes of our discussion, so I'm going to read the whole thing. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And again, that's Romans 5, 6-10. And in this passage, we see that we have no strength in and of ourselves to attain to godliness, to attain to the right thing. While we are yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul states this, For scarcely would a righteous man die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So Paul's talking about the fact that if someone was good to you, you might be constrained to die for them. Jesus put it this way, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus took that a step further when it says, But God commanded his love toward us, and that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we can fall into this trap of saying, I was 80% there without God, and then God took the other 20% to get me there. No, God gave us 100% of his grace and righteousness, and that is why we are in communion with him. There was nothing in us, as we said last week, in our flesh that was good. Only God. That should be our refrain. The third thing I want to mention is freedom in Christ gives us the opportunity to serve others. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And that's Galatians 5.13. And of course, we read Galatians 5.13 together last week, but I thought it was important to bring up because it's such a powerful verse that the reason we are given liberty is to serve others. It's not about ourselves. The world says fight for number one, and even Christians can be guilty of sharing those little memes on Facebook that said, do whatever makes you happy and don't uh, give a thought to what other people think. Now, to a certain extent, as I've said before, I do understand why this is, because sometimes the naysayers can bring you down. But in the largest sense, in the truest sense, we need to not make that our mantra, because the second verse I want to share on this topic says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
It can be very easy for us to get caught up in our own world and to say, how can this particular thing benefit me? But the reality is we need to be looking for ways to encourage one another, to lift one another up, and to esteem others better than themselves. And I think that was so encouraging to see that from Zay Jarvis in the first story we talked about today, how he put the well-being of that pitcher ahead of himself. He took the time out during a game to walk over and make sure that this pitcher was okay. And, of course, the pitcher also showed a kindness by his tears, by how affected he was by making this crucial error of hitting Zay in the head with this ball. So I think it was a it was a great show all around of what can happen in our society when we put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. Then we continue on and we see that freedom in Christ comes from Jesus. This is a passage from Luke 4 verses 18 to 21 and in this passage Jesus is reading from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue. It reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. This is yet another passage where Jesus indeed claims to be the Son of God. There are a lot of people who will say to you, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. But this passage that Jesus is reading is from Isaiah chapter 61, talking about the coming Savior, and Jesus says, this day is the scripture fulfilled. So there is really no other explanation to that than simply that Jesus was the Son of God, claimed to be so, and fulfilled those claims. When he rose again the third day, he proved that what he was saying was true. Freedom in Christ comes only to those who know they need it. This is such an important point because if you are struggling with a problem, the first step to resolving that problem is admitting that you have a problem. And if you don't admit that you have a problem, then no one can help you no matter how much they want to. Jesus said in Luke 5.32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When I was a little kid, I used to think that this meant that of course the righteous didn't need repentance because they were righteous. But then I learned the context was in the whole of the Bible to remember what Paul said, that there is nothing good in our flesh and to realize that no one is righteous, no, not one. When you put it in that context, what Jesus is saying is that if you think you're righteous, there's no one that can help you be righteous. But if you know that you're not righteous, you can claim my righteousness. That's the offer that Jesus says to you. If you have not yet committed your life to Jesus, know that you can 
claim his righteousness and you can be forgiven of your sins and you can be declared righteous because Jesus paid it all. As the hymn says, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And then Jesus further lays this out in John 8, 33 to 36, when he's talking to the Pharisees. John eight thirty three to 36 says, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, and he's saying you can be relieved of your bondage, and then these Pharisees say we've never been in bondage to anyone. Jesus, without going into their history, begins to talk about their spiritual state. And in this passage later on, he will say, you are of your father, the devil. Because if you were of Abraham's seed, as you say, then you would believe me, but you believe me not. And it's so interesting that these Pharisees are saying, we've never been in bondage to anyone, when they went from bondage in Egypt to bondage by any number of even kings throughout their history. And as Jesus is speaking to them, they are in bondage to Rome. So they certainly have had their share of bondage, and yet they had the audacity to say that they had never been in bondage to anyone. So these men were an example of those who will never be free in Christ because they don't see their need for Christ. It's kind of like the people that say, we shouldn't judge others, and you shouldn't judge me. I just want to be judged on my own merit. Well, quite frankly, folks, I do not want to be judged on my own merit, because if I was, I would be in trouble. I would be headed for an eternity in hell. So I would rather place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and let him take the weight of my sin and give me his righteousness. And now we read, as we end this discussion, freedom in Christ is guaranteed and permanent. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 5.24 I know I say it a lot. But one of the things I really like about the Bible is that God speaks in the definitive article. He doesn't say you might have everlasting life. He says, if you believe on him that sent me, you will have eternal life. You do have everlasting life. What a wonderful treasure that is. I hope that we grasp what that means to truly have that guarantee. And Jesus further illuminates this a few chapters later in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30, when he says, My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And again, that's John ten twenty seven to 30. In this passage, Jesus is basically saying, as secure as you can be is what you are when you trust me. That is so true. He says that he gives us eternal life and we will never perish. Again, the definitive article. He doesn't say here, you might perish if you don't do all the right things. He says you will never perish. And then you won't be plucked out of his hand. You are safe in the hand of the Lord Jesus. And then he adds a layer to it because he says, no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. There's another passage that says we are hid with Christ in God. So our freedom in Christ, if we trust him, is guaranteed and permanent. So let's review these points real quick, shall we? Freedom in Christ leads to life. You know, a lot of times people think that freedom in Christ is bondage. They think that Christianity is just a bunch of rules that we have to follow or we'll be in trouble, when the great irony is that Christianity tells us that we cannot achieve heaven by following rules, that we need Jesus to intercede for us. And then the second one was freedom in Christ gives us the power to glorify God. And we talked about how we've been purchased by God and how we're to glorify him with our bodies. And then we talked about the reason that we needed to be purchased by God, which is because we didn't have strength of our own, but he died for us anyway. We talked about the contrast of how someone might be able to give up their life for a friend, or they might be able to give up their life for someone that they knew was righteous, but that Jesus gave up his life for us, even though we were sinners and while we were still sinners, because there was nothing in us that could reach to him. We talked about how freedom in Christ gives us the opportunity to serve others and not ourselves because the American understanding of freedom in our secular culture is I have the freedom to do and be whatever I want with no restrictions. When in reality, the restrictions that we are given in the Bible are for our benefit. And then we talked about how freedom in Christ comes from Jesus, that Jesus is the one that gives true freedom, that we cannot have freedom without Christ. As Dave Ramsey puts it on his radio show, the only way to financial peace, but I will say here, the only way to any sort of peace is walking daily with the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. And that's such a good reminder. And then we talked about how freedom in Christ comes only to those who know they need it. 
if you don't realize that you're in bondage, then there's no reason to gain freedom. And we talked about how that's the case for the Pharisees. And that's the case for so many other people who think that they're pretty good people and they're capable of being judged on their own merit. And then finally, we talked about how freedom in Christ is 100% guaranteed. There are no maybes in the Bible. God speaks in the definitive article, and we can know that we have eternal life, the Apostle John told us. So I hope that these things have been encouraging to you, and I hope that they will bless you as you contemplate them, as you study them on your own. Maybe you can think of some other things that freedom in Christ gives us or means to you. Feel free to let me know either by email or leaving a voicemail on my blog or however you want to get in touch with me, and I will be encouraged to hear that. Before I go, I want to share with you another memory from the Speaking For Him podcast. As I said on last week's show, we've been doing this show for almost 10 years, and we're closing in quickly on our 10th anniversary, and I thought it would be exciting to bring some clips out of the archives so you can hear some of the exciting things that God has allowed us to present on the Speaking For Him podcast. And I know last week's clip was a Christmas clip. This week's clip is also a Christmas clip. I guarantee you that not every week is going to have a Christmas clip as the highlight. But this particular highlight is one that I am very excited about. And to this day, with over 500 Speaking For Him podcast episodes in the can, to this day, this is one of my favorite podcast episodes that we did. It's actually a four-part presentation of A Christmas Carol, a dramatic reading of the book by Charles Dickens. To give you a little bit of background on this before I play the clip, I'll just share with you this, that I wanted to do a dramatic reading and I asked people to come to a pre-show meeting where we would discuss this project and break it down into roles. And only one other person besides Adam McNutt and I showed up. That was my dear friend, Richard Meninga, who you will hear in this clip as Jacob Marley. So I was like, I don't know how this presentation of a Christmas Carol is going to go. If we only have three readers, but we're going to do our best. By the time I went to record, we had enough people to cover the roles featured in this series of podcasts to read the whole book in a dramatic and exciting fashion. That is in large part due to uh, Melissa Pierbolt-Huerta, who got her whole family involved in the project, encouraged them to come along. They did, and it turned out fantastic. I am super blessed by Melissa and her family. that They were involved, and several of my other friends came to help along the way, and 
So it is with great pleasure that I present to you this clip from the very first episode of A Christmas Carol. This was episode 61 on the Speaking for Him podcast. You were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chain at arm's length, as if that were the cause of all its unveiling grief, and flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down, and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, my time is nearly gone. I will, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob Prey. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. It was not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. That is no light part of my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and a hope of escaping my fate. A chance and a hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghosts had done. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour, the third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. And there you have a memory from the Speaking for Him scrapbook from episode 61, A Christmas Carol, Part 1. I hope that you'll go back into the archives and listen to all four episodes. Obviously, it's not Christmas time yet, but I think you can still benefit from it, even if you decide to listen before Christmas. And we'll be back with more memories next week. I just want to thank you all for taking the time to support Speaking for Him. It means the world to me. And I'm so glad to still be bringing you Christ-honoring content almost 10 years later. With that being said, I hope that you have a wonderful week and that above all, 
you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.